Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Ben Kay, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. This week, I'm joined by Brian O'Driscoll as we take stock at the halfway point to the European rugby group stages. But before we get into the talking points from the weekend, here's a sneak peek of what else is coming up on the pod. Ali Eakin travelled up to Northampton to chat to Saints CEO Mark Darbin in the wake of Jim Mallinder's leaving the club. You know, clearly not a decision that was taken lightly. You know, Jim's overseen an amazing period of success for this club. He's well respected by players, by staff, by supporters, and uh, so there is a sense of disappointment uh, indeed. And Welsh legend Adam Jones was our guest for the live studio show. It might be time for a bit of fresh bird or get someone in to help him, maybe even if he's the boss and get a new uh, staff underneath him. Now, the big result of the weekend saw Saracens hammered at home by Claremont in a game rearranged after being called off because of Sunday's snow. Before we discuss what's going on at Saracens, let's have a listen to an illuminating post-match interview from Mark McCall on Monday. First defeat here, your first defeat in Europe since April 2015. That's a defeat here in Europe, that is. Heaviest defeat, and the last time you lost six in a row was 14 years ago. A pretty sobering defeat. How do you break that down? Yeah, it's, uh, um, I didn't see that coming. To be honest, um, I think in the first 20 minutes we, you know, it's our our individual tackling, which was which was poor. Um, obviously, they've got some great athletes, and, and every time that we missed tackles, they got huge momentum and, and scored off the back of it. Um, we, we had a bit of period of pressure ourselves the last 15 minutes of the first half, and we weren't able to capitalise on that. But uh, as you said, it's a sobering day for us. You mentioned the missed tackles, 37. That's a number we just don't see from Saracens. Can you explain why? Not really, um, and, and maybe a couple of individuals just need to come through a bit of confidence um, uh, at the moment. But as a, as a as a team, we've got all clearly got to do way better than that in such an important facet of the game against a, a team with the, the athletes and the danger they've got. And um, their tries didn't really come from big pressure moments. They came from sort of down short sides from 40 or 50 metres out and, and people just missing tackles and, and they got tries for, for, for nothing really and we seemed to have to work very hard with the ball ourselves so it was a, a day when we were well beaten by a much better team. Can you identify the areas that you could change and fix ahead of the weekend? Well clearly on today's evidence our defence is, is the number one priority and probably our set piece as well we had a number of um, line-outs close to their line and weren't able to, to capitalise on that our scrum was under pressure at various times today so so those three areas yeah and on a more broader level six defeats is there anything on a more global uh, level that's going wrong well uh, up until today the, the the last couple of defeats have been by one point and, and two points um 
but we didn't see today coming, if I'm honest, and um, I'm not going to try and make any excuses for it. Were you underprepared in any way, given perhaps, again, the situation that happened ahead of this game? It didn't feel that way before the game, and it's easy to say after the game um, we were just well beaten by a much better team in the day. Mark, good man for talking to us. Thank you. Cheers. So there you go, Drico. Uh, fairly shell-shocked sounding uh, Mark McCall. It's new territory for them, isn't it? You know, um, was it, is that six in a row now in all competitions? Six in a row, yeah. Like that's, that's, and that's a really easy place to go and play next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> on the weekend coming up. The only upside is it, it, that, that corresponding fixture coming so quickly is, is, a, is a positive from their perspective. Now, you know, you could look at it... Um, Slightly differently in that you know they do have their in injury concerns. They don't have their big names. They don't have Marrow. They don't have Billy, uh, amongst you know a few others. So you still have to go to one of the strongholds of Europe and turn around uh, a, a massive disappointment. You know this from from Monday, but the game is such a ment there's such a mental component to it that if you can get those top three or four inches right and get you know fix the few or plug the few holes that you know was more of a dam in the game uh, on Monday, well, then you've got a fighting chance, but they're going to need to be sharp. If, if they hadn't lost those Premiership games, no one would be talking about the Anglo-Welsh games, different sides that, that, that play in that. The, the Premiership games they haven't been dreadful. It's not like they suddenly got, we suddenly say, oh, what's happened to Saracens? The, those Premiership games, the Gloucester one, they dominated the first half, just couldn't quite get over the line. The home side came back at the end. Um, Harlequins the week before this, they actually did the typical Saracens thing of having no ball and um, still at the end of the game, right at the end of the game, being in a, a, a command, well, not commanding lead, but a lead that you thought they'd take over the line. Does the magnitude of this loss and the way it happened, does that take a little bit, is that more of a big thing for them? Is that air of invincibility that we've always had about Saracens starting to just break slightly? Yeah, it's starting to eke away. It is. And that, you know, whatever about those close losses, because every side get, you know, you get a bit of luck and we're used to them getting into you know, the business end of games, you know, towards the end and being a score up or score behind and just getting enough to get it done, even when they're off colour. Whereas, you know, that's they, 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 those results have gone against them in the Premiership recently and people can go accept that. But when you get embarrassed at home, and that's what it is when, you're, when you concede 46 points. You have to remember too, they scored, they, they conceded a lot of points against Ospreys early on in, in round two as well. So in, in Allianz Park also. So, it, it's you know there is there's definitely uh, defensive deficiencies there and you were there on 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 Monday so can can that be solved in a week? Yes, I th I think you can refocus it, whether it can be solved in the long term, but I think you can get things right with your defence because defence is quite simple, isn't it? It's not um, it, it's not like you, you've got no cut and thrust with with your attack. Put, putting your defence is or, or defence to me is about people getting excited about doing the boring things over and over again and not going off script. Which is something that you would align Saracens with. Yeah, they're, one, they're one interesting team. thing, yeah. um, Alex Sanderson, who obviously is. Uh, as Ali Eakin pointed out during the commentary in his interview to him, which he didn't enjoy too much. He's in charge of defence. He actually said at the beginning of this season, we had the best defence by a country mile in the in the Premiership last year. Perhaps we spend too long 
looking at the defence and we need to dedicate a bit of that time to improving our attack. So there has been a bit of a sea change that you wonder whether now they'll revert back to type a little bit and, and tighten everything up. And do you really see now this weekend what, what the Saracens team is truly made of? Well, yes, if, they're back-to-back back they... European champions, but when your back is against the wall, when now this does this become a must-win game for them because you know Claremont will will have one foot in the in the quarterfinal if they get a positive result, if, particularly if they can deny Saris any points as they did on on Monday in Allianz Park. It's, look, it's a huge game. I don't think they can afford to call it a must-win game internally because going to the Stade Marcel Michelin with a, as a must-win game, otherwise your season's done, is, is uh, very very <laughs> a tough ask. But there's almost nothing to lose for them, and, and whether they can call on that strength of, of confidence that they've had in previous years to, to dig out what would be a monumental win. Um, you know, anyone who hasn't been to that stadium just can't understand what the atmosphere is like. They still have 10 points. Mm. You know, if they can manage to get something out of this game, 11 points, you know, with one, um, one home fixture remaining, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who their away game. So the Ospreys away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's not beyond the realms yeah. of possibility, particularly the way Ospreys uh, have been playing, um, that they could go and get a result there. Maybe in a really good day, they could get five points. So they could still get to 2021 as a second place team, yeah. you know, theoretically losing this weekend. So it's, uh, to your point, it's not, it's not do or die, but it's starting to get into that conversation, which is a first for Saracens for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think one of the, the difficult things for them, as you said, is, is they've never been cut apart like that before. Now, they can maybe blame that on the, the delays and the Monday night, but there was that they, they were easy pickings on Monday night. So if they don't, they then go to a reasonably tough game of in, in the premiership of Leicester away at Welford Road. And, you know, usually they'd go there with no fear at all. But if they were off the back of seven losses, that's... Uh, that you know, then suddenly it starts to spiral, doesn't it? And you get into a rut you can't get out of. You tighten up, and um, yeah, you start you start getting very result orientated rather than you know. And they've been always all season. Every time I've listened to an interview, it's it's talking about them improving on their previous game and proving on previous previous um, seasons, which have been on a, of a very high standard. So when there's a little bit of a rut, do you you need a win? So all of a sudden, does your tack change or you do become a little bit results focused? Yeah, one thing out of that game that needs mentioning is the performance of Raka on the wing. Scored three tries himself, set up potentially the try of the season where he's just carved everyone else up and then <laughs> offloaded to Flip van der Merwe. He'll get all the glory. It was like a slow-mo. Oh, it was it actually was... like a slow-mo. You knew yeah. the steps were coming. Yeah. You know, left foot chop, left foot chop, and there was nothing. It was it Spencer got done inside and, and then one or two others. It was an exceptional try. And, and, and we might see him playing for France in the, uh, in the Six Nations. He's qualified, I think, come then project player should we not start <laughs> Listen, we that argument <laughs> not a bad project player yeah alright decent but I guess you know, the fact that we, we were probably uh, all banking on the fact that Saracens might stop the, the rut or, or the glut of um, bad results for premiership sides not one win in the European uh, Champions Cup so that's a pretty amazing start and you, you know you would have you look at some of of the results um, it was a lot of teams playing away from home. Bath yeah. were away from home. Wasps away from home. So um, yeah, some some 
uh, some tough games, but you know you would have anticipated the likes of Northampton playing at home, the position that they're in. They needed a win, and they got ripped apart. And then the the one fallback we all felt was that Saracens, you know, could could change all that, and at least it would be one win for the Premiership teams. But it wasn't to be, and. It's pretty remarkable. I, I'm not sure if it's happened in the past. I, no, I don't think it has. I, I have a feeling maybe a couple of seasons ago there might have been five of yeah. six, but I don't know if if it's seven from seven. Yeah. Um. So, is it? And is, do you know what it creates so much conversation? Oh, is the Premiership overrated? And you know, and then I saw Andy Good making reference to all of the Pro 14. Uh, teams just focus on Europe and you know the the pro 14 is secondary to their thoughts and they're able to rest all their players and listen there's all all you, um, you never rested no 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 I played an awful lot of times yeah, yeah. for um, for for my province <laughs> um in every ground um going so <laughs> The the thing on it is, yes, we, we are protected a little bit more in Ireland in particular and obviously with the dual contracts in Wales and now likewise with, with Scotland but the reality is that um, Irish teams, particularly in the Pro 14 or in the Celtic League as it was known, have still had a massive involvement over the course of the last 16 or 17 years. I think it's 16 years. And someone made a point that in the, since 2001, nine Irish teams have won the Celtic League and 11 times have been losing finalists. So that's pretty oh, yeah, consistent absolutely. in both competitions. Yeah. I think people are questioning the strength of it, but there's no doubt the top teams in the Pro 14 are of a high standard and could compete at the very highest level at the Premiership, and I think that's the argument right now. So if it's not if it's not the the difference in league, what is? Is it just an anomaly that we yeah. all the English teams have lost, and and, and that you know that that can happen. It's a good chance for it happening. One thing that Matt O'Connor has been really really vocal about the standard of refereeing, I thought is a brilliant response from Johan van Graam straight afterwards when he heard and he just said, well, actually, we just adapted to the way the game was refereed better, which is 100% right. There is a slight argument that um, the premiership referees at the breakdown have been so or become so obsessed with quick ball that they don't let teams get away. They almost coach on the field. Now, get your hands away, and, and it's very, very quick. Do you think that perhaps the, the premiership clubs have, have become almost forgotten how to clear out a tough breakdown because they don't get enough practice of it in their league. Maybe so, but but you know and um I'm sure, you know, particularly probably in your you know, in your latter years of your career, you analyze the opposition but you analyze the referee too. So in advance of knowing what the referee's hot on or what they're going to let go a little bit, you you do that planning the week of a game. So it shouldn't come as a huge shock or surprise that the French referees will let the ruck be yeah. a bit more of, of a mess and there'll be a bit more of a contest. Whereas judging on how the, the Premiership referees have adjudicated this season, they want it all for the attacking team. So, you know, I, I think it's a it's potentially a little bit of a cop out in that, oh, you know, we, we, we've been dealing with, you know, one set of rules or one type of adjudication for the season and now we found something different. You know Europe's coming, you know the individual and what yeah. their what their really you know, what their likes and dislikes are. So you have to be able to um see that in advance. And even if it doesn't throw up what you what you've planned for during the week you have to have that adaptability to react 10 or 15 minutes into a game when a few decisions have gone against you. Now, you were at um, Thurman Park. You saw the, the Munster-Leicester performance. I know you were a bit surprised by how poor Leicester were. If you were Matt O'Connor now, what would you be saying to your team ahead of the home game? Or what do you expect them I to think, change? I think 
the the one disappointing thing for me, and we talked about it in commentary, was that I thought the collision winning was all won by by Munster. I think the fight in the tackle, particularly when carrying the ball uh, for Leicester, was pretty disappointing. Um, I think that rook can be made an awful lot easier when you give a clearer target. I thought the fight on the ground was almost non-existent. Yeah. They were willing to take the, the, the contact rather than you know pumping an extra, getting an extra yard. And we all know what an extra yard can do. It makes defensive lines you know, shift back back on their heels rather than on their toes. It doesn't allow that first man in to get in and poach or into that jackal position. And you're entitled to that extra roll. You know, it's like that, uh, you know, fish out of water. You're, you're entitled to fight, you know, provided yeah. you don't do a couple of rotations. I saw none of that. I thought um, they, they conceded and, and just allowed themselves to be dictated by, by Munster. And conversely, I thought the fight of Munster and the targeting of the... Uh, at the ruck time as to where exactly the clear out needed to take place was so evident and ru- fast ruck ball creates a, so, a considerably easier yeah. game uh, than than having to wait for four or five seconds on rooks because defensive yeah. line set I totally agree with that it'd be interesting uh, Matt O'Connor saying to the Leicester Mercury uh, this week that potentially Manu Tuolangi we might see him uh, if, he, if he gets through this week's training uh, Matt, Matt Tamu is not too far away I just wonder whether they'll almost gamble a little bit the fact that they haven't had a lot of game time and, and, and throw those guys back in. Also, um, uh, Palotta now has arrived, which would give them a little bit more go forward as well. Logo Mullapola, we saw his, his first game for a long time. But that's I, I agree with that's what they need. They, they they just didn't have that ability to win that collision and, and not Munster back. And when, when you've got like Peter Armani and... Um, uh, you know, all, all those and other... Stand, and and yeah. do you know what? In fairness to Callum Phoney, God, did, boy, did he try. Oh. And he carried an incredible amount, but he was on his own. own. And that, that's the other thing, actually, that Leicester never tipped the ball on once. So mm. if, if the all-forward carriers are just carrying off nine as a one without sort of looking to pass either way, you can be gang-tackled. Um, so, yeah, that was... That and was and it's just, just looking at that game, because Leicester started it quite well the first five or six minutes. They looked as though they were they had that nice pod set up, you know, three forwards with, with uh, George Ford out the back, and they went to him a couple of times, and they got that width. Where Munster are particularly impressive on their press isn't really at one, two, and three from the rook. It's actually three, four, and five. Yeah. So if you're willing to stretch it to get, put yourself under a bit of pressure at five and fifth and sixth defender, they have to get very soft because yeah. you get vulnerable out there. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens anyway. That old game obviously is at Welford Road. Just picking a couple of the others out, Bath came really close to turning over Toulon, away in Toulon, Chris Ashton, 50p foot kick. <laughs> I've had, I've been, I, you know what, I, I, I feel for him because I've had one or two of those in my in, in my it career. Was and perfectly placed. It was, um, <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, it, listen, he was put in a bad spot. Yeah. And then he compounded the issue with you know the slice of all slices. So, John the Joseph, fancy that they the, really the will. Rec. They really will. I think Toulon, you know. I've seen a, a good bit of them this season. They, they, you know, we talk about Saracens losing their mystique. I definitely think Toulon have lost theirs. I think they look like a very different team, um, not being navigated the same way as they were with Johnny Wilkinson and with Gitto in particular. They still haven't found who their perfect ten are. Do they want to go with uh, Bello, um, you know, who came off the bench and won the game for for them? Um, I, I, I don't think they really know how they want to, you know, um, to 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 play and and you know what players they want to utilize. So. 
I fancy that Bath will will have enough for them there, um, provided you know they can stay in the game like they have, like they've shown. And they scored a couple of cracking tries themselves down in Toulon. I think for me, just the last one to pick out in the next round because we're at half the halfway stage is your old team Leinster going to Sandy Park. That is a hugely impressive performance by them, and and probably the most disappointing one out of all of the. Um, I know Leicester got thumped, and um, you know Northampton should would have thought they should have won at home, but Exeter are flying high in the Premiership. They've opened up a gap and, and the game almost seemed to be their sort of rugby. It wasn't the most open, expansive game. And we've seen them with that pick and go game before being able to get over the line. Which for me makes it more impress- the, all the more impressive because Leinster didn't play their normal game. They like to play a bit like, yeah. the, like the Chiefs. They want to play expansive. You see, uh, they score a huge amount of their tries from their own half, even from their own 22. They're a, a, you know, a, a wide, wide team um, playing lots of phases. But we saw them play, getting through an incredible amount of phases. By, by that pick and jam game. And um, we touched on it on, in the studio on Sunday. Sometimes, if you, you know, tactically, you can turn things on their head. Why do certain teams uh, adapt a particular style of play? Because they know it's difficult to defend against. So if you flip it on its head, why not go after a, a side that loves to do a particular style uh, because they too will know it's difficult to defend. Yeah. And that's why Le- I think Leinster went and identified, you know, they, maybe they don't love defending those pick and jams yeah, in absolutely. the close quarters. Yeah. Um, and huge credit being able to go through, I think, you know, there were two sequences where there was 35 phases and then 44 phases for that Jack Conan try. Um, but t- also for me, the, the impressive part was they were still able to close the game out brilliantly. You know, to win without without conceding a losing bonus point, um, those moments are huge because now Leicester ha- or uh, Exeter have to go over to the Aviva, which isn't an easy place to go and play, and and probably um, play one of their better games of the season. So yeah, it's very interesting viewing. Yeah, we'll learn a lot more about Exeter Chiefs and their European ambitions uh, this weekend. Uh, the other big news this week saw Saints part way with long-serving director of rugby Jim Mallander, and in the wake of his dismissal, we sent Ali Eakin up to Northampton to talk to CEO Mark Darbin. A bleak midwinter scene at Franklin's Gardens. The first day here in more than a decade without Jim Mallander at the helm. He brought this club enormous success, promotion from the championship, four major trophies. But since that premiership win three and a half years ago, they've been on the slide. And after that disappointment, the latest in a long line of disappointments against the Ospreys on the weekend, he was given his marching orders yesterday. You know, clearly not a decision that was taken lightly. You know, Jim's overseen an amazing period of success for this club. Uh, he's well respected by players, by staff, by supporters. And uh, so there is a sense of disappointment uh, indeed. Was there a, a, ever a suggestion that some of the other coaches might have gone ahead of Jim Mallander himself? We felt that making change at the top of the tree from a rugby perspective was the right thing to do. And you know, now we're getting behind our existing set of coaches, trying to create the right conditions for them to succeed. If I was to throw a few names at you, Mike Ford is available. As I understand it, he wants to be coaching. Wayne Smith from New Zealand. The likes of Ali Hefer, who would be presumably quite high on your list, having been a, a former Saints man. Those kind of characters are what you'd be looking for. We're right at the start of the process. You know, we haven't spoken to anyone directly as yet. There are a lot of very, very good coaches that are being linked with the role, as you would expect. Um, so early days. Nick Beale, as I understand it, is the only one with rugby 
experience on the board. Are you content that you have the necessary knowledge to, to make that right call? I'm confident we've got the right capability at board level to make a final decision. I, I also think we'd be very foolish not to tap into the amazing Saints family that we, that we have. And indeed, I think we'd foolish, be foolish to not um, solicit a perspective from our senior playing group, you know, with people like Dylan and Rob Horn and Tom Wood and you know, many others. The list could go on and on. Are you ready for this to get worse before it gets better, potentially? I think we're, you know, we're in a challenging situation um, and our focus is climbing back up the table in the Aviva Premiership. But I'm confident it's the right choice and uh, I can assure you that everyone here at the club is, is focused on turning things around. So ten, 10 years, you know, it's um, a decade with one club is is impressive by any standards. You know, you look at um, at the longest um, reigning coaches, probably Guy Noves, 17, 18 season before he took over the French job from from Toulouse, before he he got the the boot from from them as they were on the de decline. Do you think um, Jim potentially overstayed his time there? You know, he obviously peaked in two thousand and fourteen. They've been probably in reverse the last couple of seasons. It can't just be his issue, though. There's got to be a, a, a wider uh, component to this as well. Yeah, look, I think Northampton Saints will always be grateful to Jim Mallander for, for getting that premiership title apart from anything else, but all the other things that, that he achieved. And, you know, there were times where they played some fantastic rugby. And I think that has been the, the hard thing. Once you hit those heights and your fans are used to that sort of performance, when it tails off, as it has done for, let's be honest, at least the last couple of years, um, the, 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 they're disappointed and, and their expectations have been made higher than that. Um, I, I do think you either have to be an exceptional coach or a, a brilliant presenter or you have to be a fantastic delegator for you to be able to last a long time in a coaching job because the same old messages, if you keep even that same presenter style, almost, you know, I've been in teams where players have been playing uh, whatever the coach's name bingo is. You know, if, if you're used to hearing the same uh, terminology used over and over again, it just loses that impact. And sometimes just bringing that fresh blood in can, can automatically have a response because it feels new and it feels exciting. Do you think that you know the credit in the bank accumulated from 2014 and some of that great well, stuff you know gave him that extra yeah, length at the other end? Yeah, I do. I, I think there was an element that he had signed a four-year contract, and you know we know that Northampton made a loss last year um, for the first time in a while. Um, now rugby tea, rugby clubs aren't flush with money, despite what. You know, is sometimes written about the, the premiership teams and you have to manage your budget and teams, if someone's a, a very well played director of rugby and he's got a couple of years, it's going to cost you a fair amount of money to, to change uh, change that coaching setup. Um, so that come, that does play a part in it. Um, uh, did he, did he oversell? I think the, the, the thing was they had a couple of years just before they, the, the two seasons where they really flew and they got to the, the, the Premiership final two years running, they had had a little bit of a, well, are they ever going to get anywhere? And a couple of people were saying, is it time for Jim Mallinder to move on? And he proved them wrong. He had that bounce back and those great couple of years. And then certainly that gave him some time in the bank because, and rightly so, you know, if you achieve something like that, then then you, you deserve to be rewarded for it with both loyalty and, and, a, and, and a new deal. Um, but it just makes it makes it really difficult because, you know, even if Jim Mallinder wanted to walk away, 
you know, what you've got to remember is if you walk away, you don't necessarily get that big payout. And, and you know, he's got to look after his family. So I, I almost feel that they got a little bit stuck in that rut of, well, we can't who, afford... Who goes first? Yeah, we yeah. can't afford to get rid of you and you can't afford to walk away. Um, now, I'm sure he won't, you know, he, he won't have been thinking exactly like that and, and maybe Northampton weren't either. Um, but also, you, you, if you, the longer you leave it, you lose that ability to plan. So now we're stuck with a situation where who's available to come and take over now? Alan Dickinson, the, the attack coach, is going to take over. We hear with the... With the coaches that sat under Jim as a team, so again, how much changes with that? Because it's the same same minds in that coaching room together without without Jim Mallander there. How much onus is on the players when you know, when a coach has to walk like that? Um, uh, look, you know, they you know they haven't really delivered as a collective themselves as well. No. And, and and you look back to some of the internationals returning, you know, maybe haven't been at their best for a club, can play playing considerably better. Um, for for England than they have for Northampton, maybe with the exception of Courtney Laws. Um, so, there's so. a there's a huge onus on the players. There always is an onus on the players, from a from the business perspective and from the decision making perspective. You can't sack all your players at once. <laughs> you can't just go, oh, all right, well, it's not the it's the players aren't performing, so you have to try a different method, which is, well, let's see if someone else who's in charge of bringing those players together and, and getting them united as a team to, to go out, you know, maybe that, that's the area, that's the easiest area to change, is it? It doesn't matter that it will, you know, whether or not it changes overnight, I, I still think that's the right way to go. The other thing is that as director of rugby, which is different to a head coach, it is your responsibility to put together that team. So you might have been restricted by um, the amount of budget you've got to spend or whether players want to come and play for you. I, th I think they were hurt by Louis Pickamoles who came in and was fantastic for them but then wanted to leave very quickly although they got a big uh, uh, remuneration for, for his services being taken away and, and uh, compensated for that. It's still you did feel that he was the sort of player you could build a team around and other players would want to come and play for your club to play alongside him. That That's that is a you know, uh, that, that's one reason I know that Leicester were really keen to get George Ford was that other players wanted to play with him. Ben Youngs wants to play with him. Johnny May has come to Leicester because he wants to play with George Ford. So that there are certain players that, that can do that. I, I feel sorry for, for Jim Mallander, but I don't think he'll be out of a job for very long because there aren't that many good or that many experienced directors of rugby around at the moment. And, you know, that's probably the thing with Saints. Who do they look at? Do they... I mean, you'll you know more about this. Is Stuart Langston's just signed a new deal with Leinster? He's he has, one of the yeah. names that has come up. And I think Stuart wants, you know, I get the impression he wants his time away from from England. Um, he's done a phenomenal job at Leinster. I think it's been a um, a joint production between Leo Cullen and himself. I don't think um, it's fair to you know heap all the praise on on Stuart, but he's come in and he, do you know what he's done? He's gone back and done what he loves doing, and that's coaching. You know, the the director of rugby, even though I don't think Leo Cullen, that is his role, I think he's still a head coach, but he does a lot of the director of rugby yeah. um, work, the, you know, the contracts behind the scenes, um, you know, all the media stuff. Stuart is, you know, obviously has to do a small bit of that, but front and center, you know, front and center of his role is to go out and coach the team. And I've only heard good reports from all the players. So, you know, will he get swayed um, by a, you know, a lucrative contract? 
I get the impression that he's happy where he is and that he's you know he, he's going to stay put for, for another couple of years yet. Another one's Richard Cockrell, who has obviously gone up to Edinburgh after after Leicester and him parted company. Um, again, a guy who's signed a contract, so you know he might feel that he has to, you know, you don't want to be seen as, as a guy that jumps ship, but equally, I don't know legally where, where he stands, whether he might have to stay out there. Mike Ford's another one that um, has been mentioned. And, and actually, I, he's probably the only one that there wouldn't be too many legal challenges uh, because he, he, he is working as DOR of a Dallas team that's joining the Major League Rugby, but you'd think he'd be able to come back. And what about, you know, the left fielders? We've heard Jordan Murphy's name being thrown in the mix for um, for Cardiff. Yeah. I don't know whether we've heard the end of that, but I, I suppose he's got some currency now. It's He he is being touted as a first-team yeah. coach. And that's sometimes maybe he doesn't go for the you know for, for the first job that his name is thrown up for, but you know, another one that comes along, well, he's now in, the, he's got his name in that hat. You've... Yeah, you have to think of it as the opportunity that's there, and, and you know, what players he got to work with. Can I, can I improve them? Because the last thing you want to do is move and become the number one, and it, yeah, the performances aren't great, and and then your reputation is well, he's not a number one, he's he's a number two, obviously. Um, there's another guy that that actually. I think Northampton will be kicking themselves that they ever let let him go, or, or and that's Ali Heifer, who's Exeter's um, attack coach, because he's a local Northampton lad. He played his rugby at Northampton, but try going to him now when you're, you know, you've got a senior role at Exeter, you're very very highly regarded, and saying, uh, do you want to come and work with this team instead that are right down at the bottom of the table and. These are the contracts that you. These are the players that signed up for this long. Or do you want to stay for a team that's seemingly going that way still? still and also up? with you know who has a director of rugby that maybe has eyes on on yeah. the English job in a couple yeah. of years' time when Eddie Jones is done with England post Japan. You know, does Rob Baxter move into an England role? And so is there something uh, bigger in, in Exeter for Ali Heifer? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good argument. But I'm sure. Uh, Northampton will be scouring the world. It won't just be uh, England that they're looking at. They'll be looking at some of the Southern Hemisphere coaches as well. So uh, one to keep our eye on. Um, just a, a, another point of business is uh, Talupe Falatau uh, and his injury. Nasty injury. Uh, we've seen a few nasty injuries this weekend. Uh, Toulouse Veanu uh, broke his jaw in two places as well. So he's out for at least eight weeks. Uh, but Falatau from a from a Wales perspective, uh, hugely damaging because, well, actually, if you look at the three best number eights in the world, they're all out injured at the moment. Billy Vunapola, um, uh, obviously, Tulupe Falatau, and um, Kieran, Reed. Kieran Reed. Yeah, name slipped my mind. But Kieran Reed's having a back operation. He's out for four months. Falatau, massive loss, you know, particularly with the news that Sam Warburton's looking as though he's going to miss um, the, the Six Nations too. Um, I, you know, I thought Falatau. In advance of the of the Lions tour, I thought Billy Vinopola had to be fit for the Lions to be competitive. He didn't go, and I thought Fa Toby Falatau was absolutely yeah. immense. Um, his his work rate and what he brings you of guaranteeing advantage line, you know, when he carries the ball, um, you you just can't legislate for that as uh, as as a, an attacking weapon. So for them to lose him and his experience, even though he's not a huge talker, a very quiet guy. I think you, when you look 
at a team sheet and you see Toby Faletau or Tulupe Faletau on it, you feel the better for it and you feel we've got a fighting chance here. So a massive loss for for Bath and and for Wales, obviously. Do you think there's anything in... uh, Now, Andy Jones has has been quite vocal about his autumn selection policy and part of that was, he said, was down to uh, reintegrating the Lions boys back into the England environment and... Also, you know, one of the things, he didn't just let them have a rest when he didn't play them. He, he actually worked them harder because he felt they'd almost got deconditioned just because they'd got into that rut of a long, long season. Having experienced that, is there anything in that? Do you think some of these injuries might be caused by the Lions trip? or, or there's, always the, the, there's always that conversation where you do see you know, when there are increased numbers after a Lions tour, increased numbers of injuries. You know the, the finger pointing it automatically comes out at at, at the Lions. I I think in some cases that's unlucky. I think it's more relevant to to form. Um, I totally agree. And yeah. it's it's impossible to keep yourself at that level. And I think you can get unlucky with with injury, but I think you're more susceptible to a um, a fall in in form because you've peaked during the summer. It's you know it's one of the um, one of the events of your rugby career um if you're lucky enough to go on one um and then you come home you know you sit on a beach for a month and then you do pre-season and it's a short pre-season straight into games i just think it's very difficult to constantly keep yourself um on a high and and a level you know where it's expected of you particularly if you've played well during the summer so um i don't don't think i don't i don't buy into the injury aspect it's just it's, it's, yeah, it's I agree, because we, we'd be looking surely more at strains and, and muscular. If you look at how Talupi Falakatao got injured, it, it wasn't exactly was, that, yeah, right? it wasn't exactly like he was running across the field doing yeah, on his own with, yeah. with no one around him. Right, let's turn our attention to the Champions Cup then and ahead of Harlequin's trip to Ulster this weekend. Welsh legend Adam Jones joined us in the studio for rugby tonight. Here are the best bits of our chat with him. <laughs> Okay, we've got loads of questions in for Adam, haven't we? Adam, this is your life. Um, (laughs) So let's have a look at the first question people want to know. Uh, The Paul Williams, as the game develops, do you think props will get lighter or heavier? Um, I think they're going to get fitter and uh, a little bit less body fat and uh, certain people on, especially me. I was going to say you're wearing um, skinny ripped jeans, so I reckon they're getting lighter. (laughs) I'm in London now. Is that a Welsh thing, is it? This is how we drop jeans. Skinny ripped jeans. Uh, When we come to London, this is how we think. Yanto. Uh, at Yanto, oh. how much do you bench press? That's Ian Evans, like Ian Evans. Ian Evans, second oh, row. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, a, long, a lot more than him, yeah. Not much anymore, though. I don't, I just don't do much weights anymore. Really. How much pe- do you bench press, yeah. though? How much do I bench press? Yeah. I don't bench press very much. Okay. I see this guy do a fair bit in the gym before. He was quite impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Fully <laughs> the fella. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> Who's the most skillful player you've ever played with? Um... Oh, Justin Tipperick, probably, as a forward. Oh, that's going to be wounding, isn't it? Oh, that's going to be absolutely killing. What? Most skillful player, is that not you? I thought it was going to be Gav Henson. <laughs> oh, in the back's probably Shane. Shane. Tommy Bow, Tommy Bow was good. Jeez, Tommy yeah. will be delighted to yeah. hear that. I'm shocked to hear that. What about you two? Most skillful. Most skillful player you play with. Depends what you mean by skill. Ethan Asiwa. Ethan Asiwa. Wow. So okay. if, you, if you include footwork... Jason Robinson was the player that I always think no one, no, we'll never see someone quite like him again, okay. I don't think. Just because he, he was pretty small. I mean, I, I suppose it's a little bit similar to Shane Williams. Yeah, yeah. But when he got caught behind you, you could hear 80,000 people 
sudden intake of breath. And uh, you knew that he'd... Usually when the full-back counter-attacks as front five forwards, you panic a little bit and you think, we're never going to get there in time. But he'd always stay on his feet long enough for you to get there. So, uh, yeah, Ooh, great. Interesting. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, do you think there should be a scrum referee? Would you like to see more ex-forwards refereeing? That's quite a good one. Yeah, I think... I do think refs should be upskilled. They do, they do. They spend more time with props. They spend... I think Carl Dixon, who's with us and knows he, he said forwards aren't fit enough to be refs, which is a fair point, because, you, yeah. you know, they're all big guys, they're refs, so... I think um, it's, it's hard to get it at both sides, because it could be a totally different thing happening. Th how one side how much has it improved? Over, or has it improved over the last few years? We're seeing less resets, but yeah, the, not necessarily that they're trying to get the ball out quicker, which I think the rest of us are probably quite glad about, but mm -hmm. are the props? I think, you know, it's like, it's coaching the scrum now, you realise this. Last year, you had the referee had to decide when the ball had to come in. Now that doesn't happen. And that's made it a lot better for every, team, every side. Because yeah. you, you, it's on your tap, it's on your strike, and so it's not... Relying on a guy who's never been in there to manage it for you. Uh, and obviously something that I want to know the answer to, how do you maintain such a natural-looking perm? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good question, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you put anything on it? There's no greys. There's no greys. No. Just for men? It's a little, little, little bald on top. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just brush it every now and again, wash it, you know, condition yeah. it. Mane and tail is a good one. So, so it's the same with your hair, right? You, you yeah. barely do anything to it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, we got one there. Oh, the bottom um, one's good. Yeah, the bottom one's good. good. Is it time? Oh, is, is it, it's a cool ball. Um, is it time for Gatlin to leave Wales? Ooh, um, he's been there a long time, hasn't he? Does that mean yeah, yes? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, uh, look, I didn't finish in my in the way I wanted to, and it's very bitter. You know, we've both on this panel... Leave me out of this. <laughs> we're we're great mates. I've had a run with, uh, with Gats and been uh, dropped or not picked right, rightly or wrongly. But, oh, look, I think I, it might be time for a bit of fresh bread or get someone in to help him, maybe even if he's the boss, and get a new uh, staff underneath him. Um, you supporting the new style of rugby? Wales look like they're trying to play now, though, this autumn? Yeah. Will it take uh, a bit of time, Yeah, do you I think, think um, you know, I was, I was a massive fan of the way we always played. You know, getting on the corner, it was, you know, it was easy enough for front five forwards. Yeah. It was a lot of hard work, but, you know... Enjoyed it. But you knew, you knew your role, so it's going to take a bit of bedding in. And, uh, you know, the way we did try to play in the autumn was, uh, was quite positive. So, yeah, it was, it was nice to see a bit more offloading. You know, mm. Rob Evans has come to the fore. He's been, you know, we've had Geth for so long, and now yeah. Rob's kind of uh, come in because Geth's been injured, and he looked uh, like a sort of pushing on definitely international quality prop. <laughs> Right, Brian, uh, before the tournament started on this pod, you and Lawrence uh, almost did your pre-tournament predictions and, and who was going to qualify from each group. Are you confident that they're all going to stay the same if we run through them now? I'm confident we're pool one, but thereafter, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see. I think I think we've done a reasonable job. I don't think we, we didn't put ourselves, out, put ourselves out there too much. I think we went with the staples and didn't think that there was going to be that much of a turn up for the books. Um, other than you know the the in pool one the inaugural um, yeah. European Champions Cup for for La Rochelle we thought that um, with their with their home form and their form in the top fourteen last year and the squad that they've built and the mentality that they've built I think um, we felt as though they were going to be a force to be reckoned with in that pool and thankfully we were right and um, the other two teams in that pool that obviously been playing each other back to back is uh, Ulster and Harlequin. Surprising 
that Ulster got the victory away at the Stoop or, or a Harlequins just a little bit off the pace? I think they're off the pace. Obviously, they lost the first two, so they were all but out of it, particularly with La Rochelle having maximum points after two and now you know maximum points after three. Um, you get the sense from an Ulster perspective that it would be good for them for La Rochelle to run away with this pool, that realistically they've got to be looking at a better second-place finish yeah. rather than winning the pool themselves. They do have La Rochelle back in Belfast uh, in round five, um, but first and foremost, they've got to beat um, Quinns in the return fixture with five points this weekend. That would get them uh, up to 13 after four rounds um, with all to play for. So in reality, they're going to need to win all three, but two of those games are at home. So um, it's not unthinkable that, that Ulster could still qualify at 19, 20 points. Well, we'll see how Ulster get on this weekend. That game's live on BT Sport 2 and 4K UHD on Friday night from 7pm. Um, but for now, you're just going to stick with St uh, Stad La Rochelle? Yeah, yeah I, think, I, think, um, I think potentially um, it could be just them coming out of that, out of that pool um, because they could still go to Belfast and get a victory themselves. Yeah. If they okay. win, obviously, if they win... This weekend uh, in Coventry and then go and, and win in, in Belfast, that is going to be them qualifying yep. on their own. Um, okay. They'll put pay to anyone else. So potentially you're, you're looking at just one team coming out of that group. Okay, pool two, I don't think we would have thought um, at this stage with the last match that we were talking about earlier on that um, Claremont would be looking like they're running away with it slightly. There's still, the Ospreys have got an opportunity um, on eight points. Saracen's on 10 points and Claremont and Vern on 14. Northampton way back on one point. So we'd think they're out of it. Uh, you said beforehand, uh, you and Lawrence, that Saracen's and Claremont would qualify. Do you still think that they both will? Probably, but not definitely. You look at at, at Ospreys have a, are in a are in a good spot now. You know they're on. Is it eight points they are they're on? So, you know they get a bonus point against Northampton at home this weekend, thirteen, and they still have to play Saracens, um, in Swansea. So yeah. that's a, a, a that becomes an enormous game. Um, I I fancy Saracens to potentially turn it around. I know yeah. not many sides go to Marcel Michelin and 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 get. A win there, but I just think they're the sort of team to react um, on a big stage when their backs are against the wall, and th they'll be fed up that you know six losses in a row. This isn't us. This isn't the new Saracen. So I, 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 I think it, they'll run Claremont pretty close if if not pip them this weekend and get them right back in the mix. Well, as uh, Brian was saying, that's uh, one of the closest pulls. Uh, I'll be over in Claremont of Verne experiencing. The atmosphere of the Yellow Army. That's on Sunday at 3 p.m. on BT Sport 2. So you can catch up with that one there. But also on BT Sport 3 and 4K UHD is the Ospreys against Northampton game. That's Sunday at 3 p.m. as well. So uh, take your pick of those two games. Uh, Pool 3, uh, Leinster and or Montpellier to qualify was your pre-tournament uh, prediction. Yeah, pretty harsh on on Exeter, um, considering they were you know reigning Premiership champions. Um, obviously, they started the tournament with two wins, um, not getting a, a bonus point in in either. But um, I, you know, with, with Leinster are in the driving seat now. They're in great shape. Um, you know, three wins uh, out of out of three, fourteen points. 
um, and and sitting pretty. Um, but we did say that this was the pool of of death. Um, we did say that you know lots of teams would win their home games and picking the odd um, away win. You know that's what Leinster have managed to do. They've gone away from home twice now, and and beaten uh, both Glasgow and Exeter. Um, so only Montpellier to go on the road to. Um, they'll fancy them, their chances at home in the Aviva this coming weekend against Exeter, um, which is, is live on BT. And then um, in round six against Glasgow when they have nothing to play for. So I think Le Leinster are in fantastic position. Just a matter of whether Montpellier can get themselves a second place finish. Yeah, and that Leinster-Exeter game, Saturday, 2.45pm, uh, BT Sport 2. Um just a, one quick question about Leinster. If they do win their first five games, would they would they be the sort of team that wanted to finish as high as possible in their last game, or might they make some changes to look after some of their bodies there? Yeah, good question. You see, the thing is, and to, to Andy Good's point, you know, they'll be given a rest week after that in right. advance of going into Six Nations. So I I wouldn't envisage um, seeing a second string team. You ha you have to look at it as well. You 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 can't take liberties and you can't um, take a risk that you're not in the in the top four seeds. Obviously, um, you want to get that home yeah. quarterfinal. So if there's any chance where um, you know where a, a shock away vi victory would put you down in fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth position, I think you can't take that yeah. risk. And um, you know I think they'll be trying to go for the jugular. You know, is it a bit of an ask to, to expect them to go away to Montpellier and get a win? I think if you get a losing bonus point there, that's a great result. Um, but you're looking to pick up five from your final home game against Glasgow. Yeah, we don't know. Montpellier could be out of it by then as well. So good opportunity to go over there, get that big result. And nice to hear that they might get a rest the week after. Your, you obviously won't be having a rest. You never rest, do you? Never. Never rest. Never, never rest. Well done. Pool four, Brian and Lawrence's pre-tournament prediction, Munster and Leicester to qualify. Is that still the case? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That is such an evenly contested pool. Um, you know, cast have even thrown themselves into the mix on seven points. I just wonder, is this the other group where you only get one team yeah. coming out of? Um, and obviously Munster are, um, are brilliantly positioned um, to achieve that. But... You know, they've got to go to Leicester and get more than a losing bonus point. They've got to go and win. And if so, I think that could be commanding enough to, for, for them just to be the sole um, recipient of, of, of topping that pool. Yeah, uh, the only group where uh, no team has won all its games so far. So you've got Munster on 11 points, Castor on 7, Racing 92 on 6 and Leicester on 6. So I think you're right. I think that might be... Uh, one team and, and bonus points then become very important don't they so Munster picking up that bonus point last week um, hugely important but you will be able to see the return leg uh, at Welford Road uh, that's Leicester Tigers against Munster Sunday at 5.15 on BT Sport 2 and 4K UHD last one then Pool 5 you both thought that Scarlets and Toulon might qualify uh, Bath nearly put a spanner in that, those works last week but what do you think at the moment I think Bath they're in a great spot now. Um, I'm, I'm going to break from from um, our pre-tournament thoughts on on this one, and I'm going to go with um, with Toulon and Bath as the two qualifiers from that group. I think again, Bath have two home games. They have Scarlets back in the wreck in in January. They've got Toulon this um, coming weekend. 
um, which is going to be a, an, an enormous game from them, not only from the point of qualifying, but an opportunity for them um, to leapfrog Toulon and become the number one um, pick from, from this pool. So, um, yeah, Scarlet's, I suppose, a bit disappointing um, early on in, in the pool stages. They didn't show that end-of-season form that won them the Pro 14 last year, or Pro 12 as it was. Um, but they are still in the mix themselves. Um but they, have an awful, they've an awful lot of work to well do. They were lucky, weren't they, to get a, get out of jail. I say lucky, two brilliant bits of skill, but they were they looked like they were they, they were going down at home to, huge, to Benetton. Huge credit to Benetton, you know. Yeah. To, you, you, they could have they could have felt sorry for themselves losing Minto after twenty five minutes. So to play, you know, fifty five minutes. Um, and 50 of those, you were, you know, you were right in the game and, and looked as though you were gonna, you were gonna um, take the glory. But um, a good, good side stay in it till the end. And two late scores was enough for for Scarlets and huge relief. But they still have to get go and get it done in, in Benetton this weekend. And we've seen how how Toulon struggled. You can be sure when Bath go there that they won't find it easy. They're a different prospect, Benetton in Italy this year. Well, that's the roundup of all the European games to look forward to this weekend at the halfway point of the back-to-back -back, uh, rounds three and four. Uh, thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed it and hopefully you'll enjoy another packed weekend of European rugby on BT Sport 2. We're back next week with special guest Ellis Genge joining us in the studio for Rugby Tonight. So be sure to tune in at the usual time on a Wednesday. Remember to subscribe to the pod so it's delivered straight to your device every Thursday. If you've enjoyed listening today, please give Brian a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. Bye for now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 